Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2, and as we begin this morning, we'll just read from verse 14. Acts chapter 2, verse 14 says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you. And hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Let's just open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you for this most wonderful day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be together in your house. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to open your word and to, to learn from it, Lord. And I pray that this morning you would Empower me, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, that you give me wisdom and guidance from on high. I pray, Lord, that it be your words, it be your thoughts. Lord, you would speak to our hearts, that you would teach us and instruct us through your word this morning. I pray that we leave this place singing your praises, giving all glory and honor back unto you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last Sunday, of course, we uh, looked at the first part of this chapter, verses 1 to 13, and we saw the beginning of... The church, we saw that the Spirit came at Pentecost. The Spirit baptized the believers into the body of Christ and it filled them, empowering them to speak in tongues. We saw that the gift of tongues was given as a sign gift. It was given to uh, be a sign unto the unbelievers, uh, to get their attention, if you like, to make them understand that what was happening was indeed from God. And indeed, the gift served its purpose. It served its purpose on the day of Pentecost as a, a crowd quickly gathers to hear and to see for themselves this great miracle. And this in turn gives Peter the opportunity to stand up and to preach unto the people the truth. You know, the sign gift, tongues, prepared the people to listen. It gathered them together, but it was the gospel message that had the effect on their lives. And that's the message that Peter stands up and preaches unto them. Now, as we read Peter's message in verses 14 right down to verse 41, and I'm going to endeavor to cover all those verses this morning. I'm going to try and do all of Peter's message this morning. But as we look at Peter's message, now what we see is we see Peter standing up and he preaches with great boldness. He preaches with great wisdom and power. You know, this is the same man who only 50-odd days earlier had denied the Lord. Okay, we saw the Pentecost was 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits, which was the first Sunday after Passover. And he had denied the Lord, of course, just before Passover. So it's only 50 plus days, 52 or 53 days earlier, that Peter has denied the Lord three times before the cock crowed. But yet now you find Peter standing up and boldly declaring before all these Jews, all these Jewish brethren, the truth that Christ is the Messiah. You know, only earlier he'd been too afraid to identify with the Lord and now he's more than willing to identify with his Savior. Peter is controlled by the Spirit here. He's filled by the Spirit and he stands and preaches with boldness under the crowd. And so this morning we want to look at Peter's sermon. And you know, with this sermon, what Peter endeavors to do is he tries to explain to the crowd before him what they've just witnessed. You know, they've just witnessed 
uh, the, the brethren speaking in tongues and he's trying to make them understand now what it is that they have seen, what they have witnessed. And as Peter preaches this sermon, there are three points to his sermon. It can be divided into three parts and those are the three parts that I want us to look at this morning. First of all, we see that he explained what happened. He explained what had happened. This is found in verses 14 down to verse 21, which Samuel read for us before. But let's just read from verse 14 uh, to pick it up and remember what we're looking at here. It says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lift up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Now Peter begins his sermon here by standing up before this crowd of people, this great throng of people who have gathered together. He stands before them and he explains to them what they've just witnessed, what they've just seen. As we know from verse 12 and 13, the people were at a loss. They were confused. They were perplexed. They didn't know what was happening. It says in verse 12, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. See, the people didn't understand this event. They didn't understand what this event was all about. They're confused and some are even mocking and saying, you know, that they're drunk. They're full of wine. So Peter stands up in response and he declares unto the people, you know, these believers are not drunk. The believers are not filled with new wine. As he says in verse 15, you see, the joyful worship of the Lord, which these people were hearing in their own languages. Remember, we talked about that. The tongues here was them speaking in known languages. The joyful worship of the Lord, the great wonderful works of the Lord, which they were hearing being declared in their own languages, was not the result of these believers being drunk. And Peter wants to set that you know, to bed before he starts something else. He wants to make sure they understand it's not anything to do with that. Now, at the end of verse 15, he says, seeing as it is but the third hour of the day. Basically, what Peter's saying there is, he says it's too early for them to be drunk. That's basically what he's saying. You see, Orthodox Jews didn't eat or drink anything before 9 a.m. on a feast day like this. Remember, it's Pentecost. okay? And they wouldn't eat anything or drink anything until after 9 a.m., which is the third hour of the day, okay? according to the Jewish days okay they start their day at 6 a.m and peter's saying to them he's saying it's too early he's saying we haven't had anything to eat we haven't had anything to drink it's a feast day you see the crowd being jews they should have known this you know they themselves the crowd they themselves were gathered together for pentecost and they themselves wouldn't have had anything to drink either prior to this and so they should have known that you know these Believers, being Jews, wouldn't have had anything to eat, wouldn't have had anything to drink before now. So Peter begins by pointing out exactly what it's not. It's not anything to do with drink. And then he points out to them what had happened. And he does this by turning their attention to the Scriptures, and in particular to the prophet Joel. And this is from verse 16 and onwards. Let's just read it. It says, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it came to pass in the last days... <clears throat> Sorry, and it shall come to pass the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days <clears throat> of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. 
I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter here quotes from Joel. He quotes from the prophet Joel and he tells them, he says, what you're witnessing is the fulfillment of that. He says, this is what Joel spoke about. As he's quoting here or referring to here is Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. Now we're going to turn there because it's basically word for word. Peter basically quotes this passage from Joel chapter 2. And what Joel in his prophecy is declaring is that in the last days, the Lord will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Verse 17 at the start there it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Joel declares in the last days, the Lord will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Basically what that means is upon all kinds of people, all men. Okay, In the Old Testament, we talked about last week, that the Spirit would come upon a certain person for a particular service, Okay, for a, a, to accomplish something God had given them to do. And when you look at those ones who were filled with the Spirit, who were empowered by the Spirit in the Old Testament, it's you, a prophet, a priest, or a king. Okay, it's someone in authority, someone who's in leadership. You know, Joshua, David, okay, these men in leadership positions. What Joel declares is that in the last days, the Spirit will be poured out upon all men, all classes of people, all flesh. And accompanying this pouring out of the Spirit will be gifts. He talks about prophecy. He talks about visions, dream dreams. And Peter here associates this, this um, uh, gifts of the Spirit with the gift of tongues. Okay? He associates this prophecy by Joel with what has taken place here at Pentecost. Peter here is effectively announcing to the crowd the last days have arrived. That's essentially what he's saying here. He's saying to them that the days which Joel spoke about have arrived. We're in the last days and God has poured out his spirit upon all flesh. He tells them here they're witnessing the fulfillment of this prophecy at least in part. Now I say in part because the last days is a period of time. It's a period of time running from Christ's first coming until his second coming after the tribulation. So Joel's prophecy is only fulfilled in part here at Pentecost. We don't see all of Joel's prophecy fulfilled at Pentecost. We see a partial fulfillment. You see, we don't see the great signs and wonders that are spoken of in verse 19. It says, And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. We don't see those events happening at Pentecost. Those events won't happen until the end of the last days. Towards the end, before Christ comes back, the tribulation. But the pouring out of the Spirit here marked that they were now in the last days, that we are in the last days. We're heading towards the return of Christ, His second coming. Peter declares to the people, he says, the Spirit has come, we're in the last days, we're in the days that Joel speaks of. You know, these last days are a time when all men will call upon the name of the Lord 
and be saved. All men can, sorry, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Verse 21, it says that. It says, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, it was the dawning of a new age. It was the dawning of a new age, an age of salvation being freely offered to all because of what Christ had done on the cross. You see, no longer was salvation associated with the nation of Israel. Now, Jew, Jews could be saved in the Old Testament. Gentiles were saved in the Old Testament. And yes, they were saved by faith. But, you know, Gentiles in the Old Testament, they would become proselyte Jews and they would worship at the temple. They would worship with the, the Jewish priesthood. You see, salvation was associated with Israel. But here, Peter declares and Joel declares that when the Spirit is poured out, that this will be a time of salvation being freely available to all. That all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, Peter here is quoting Joel's declaration. Joel makes the same declaration. In Joel chapter 2, verse 32, it says this, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. See, Joel understood this, that this was a time when salvation was freely offered at all. And that's what Peter declares here. He declares that we're in this day, we're in these last days, the Spirit has been poured out and salvation is available to all. And having explained to them what had happened, you know, what they had just witnessed, they'd witnessed what Joel had speaking about, spoken about, they'd witnessed the pouring out of the Spirit, they witnessed this, this age come where salvation is available to all. Peter now goes on to explain to them why it had happened. He explains to them why it had happened. This is from verse 22 right down to verse 35, and we'll read it in a minute. You see, basically what Peter does is he explains why it had happened because the people could have turned around and said to Peter, why now? You know, why now, Peter? You know, remember he's talking to a Jewish crowd. Okay, and they could have asked the question to Peter. They could have said, Peter, why now? What has changed that the Spirit should come now? What has changed that salvation should be available to all. And so Peter now boldly declares unto them what has changed. He boldly declares unto them that the Spirit had come, the last days had begun because the Messiah had already been to earth. The Messiah had already come and they had missed him. In verse 22, he turns their attention to Jesus and Nazareth. Look in verse 22. It says, Ye men of Israel... Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Peter turns their attention to Jesus of Nazareth. And he says that he was approved of God, approved by God. And he says this approval was seen clearly by his miracles, by the signs, the wonders that he did in their midst. Remember, he's talking to a Jewish crowd. They'd seen his miracles. They'd seen what he'd done. They'd heard Christ preached. They knew that he was approved of God. They knew that the, the evidence was there that God had sent him. But they'd taken this one and they'd crucified him. Look in verse 23. He says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Now Peter declares boldly here to the Jews, he says, Jesus of Nazareth, approved by God, you crucified him. 
He accuses them of murder here. He accuses them of being the ones who put Christ on the cross. They were the ones who cried out, crucify him, crucify him. But then he goes on in verse 24 to declare that it's not possible for him to remain in the grave. It says in verse 24, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Peter declares here that it was not possible for Jesus of Nazareth to remain in the grave. It was not possible for the chosen one, the Messiah, to remain dead. So God raised him up. And having declared here that Jesus is alive, that's basically what he's done. He's declared Jesus is alive. Peter now sets about showing how his resurrection proves that Christ is the Messiah they were looking for. He sets about proving this point to them. And he does this by quoting, first of all, from Psalm chapter 16, verse 8 through to 11. Read from verse 25 of me here. It says, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because that, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. This is taken straight from Psalm chapter 16, verse 8 through 11. And what Peter does here is he turns their attention to the words of David. They like it how Peter here is preaching. What does he do? He uses the scriptures to prove his point. He goes to the words of David and he declares to them, he says, David cannot, cannot be speaking about himself here. He says it's obviously not talking about David. It's obviously speaking about the Messiah, about Christ, about his resurrection. Verse 29, he says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Then you like the way Peter says it. He says, let me be frank with you, David is dead and buried. He says, David can't be talking about himself. David didn't rise again. He says, David wasn't speaking of himself. David was speaking about the Messiah. David was prophesying of the Messiah's resurrection. You know, if David's prophesying on the Messiah's resurrection, then that means the Messiah had to die, doesn't it? And so he's prophesying of both. He's prophesying of the Messiah's death and resurrection. And Peter boldly declares this. And then he says, and Jesus is that Messiah. Jesus is the one that they crucified. Jesus is their Messiah. And he is risen from the dead. Look in verse 32. It says, this Jesus hath God raised up. He makes this association very clear. The Jews couldn't miss the point here. Peter is declaring to them, the Messiah was prophesied that he would die, that he would be buried, that he would rise again. And Peter says, Christ is that Messiah and he has risen again. 
Now, at the end of verse 32, he says, whereof we are all witnesses. Basically, Peter says, how do I know this? How do I know that Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled David's prophecy? How do I know he rose again? Because he saw his own eyes. You see, Peter and the other disciples had seen Christ after the resurrection. They were eyewitnesses. In chapter 1, we saw that this is what they were commissioned to do. They were commissioned to be witnesses of the resurrection. Just turn back to chapter 1, verse 3. It says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Then drop down to verse 22. It says, Beginning from the baptism of John, under the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. This is what the apostles were commissioned to do. They were commissioned to give proof to the resurrection. And Christ gave them infallible proofs. Infallible proofs, in other words, arguments that could not be refuted, that Christ is alive. So they could go forth and boldly declare this truth. And that's exactly what Peter's doing here. He's saying, I saw Christ alive. I saw Jesus of Nazareth, the one you crucified, rise again. As we've noted before, it wasn't just the 12 who'd seen Christ alive. He was seen of hundreds. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 6 says, After that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. You see, the point is, it wasn't just a small pool of witnesses. It was huge. It was overwhelming. There was an overwhelming uh, volume of witnesses who could be called to testify to the truth of Christ's resurrection to the truth that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the one that David prophesied would rise again. And in verse 33 now, Peter declares to them that this is why the Spirit has come. Verse 33, it says, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see, and here. See, Peter declares, this is why the Spirit has come. The Spirit had descended upon men because Jesus, the Messiah, had risen and ascended back into glory and was seated at the right hand of the Father. Again here, Peter turns their attention to David's words in the Psalms. He declares that David again is prophesying of the Messiah. Verse 34, he says, But for David is not ascended in the heavens, but he himself, sorry, but he saith himself, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou at, on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. See, once again, David speaking, David prophesying of Christ, the Lord. The Lord said, My Lord, sit thou on my right hand. Peter says, Christ is that Messiah. Jesus is that Messiah. He's the one who has died, he's risen, he's ascended back into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and that is why the Spirit has now come. The Holy Spirit had come, the events of Pentecost had taken place because Jesus, the Messiah, had come. Died, was buried and rose again, and was ascended back into heaven. 
you know, Peter concludes this second point with a definitive statement, if you like. In verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He says, Go and tell everyone. Let everyone know that the Messiah has already come, that that Jesus who you crucified is that Messiah. And he is raised up, he's seated in heaven, and God hath made him Lord and Christ. It's following there now that Peter comes to his third point and he gives a call to repentance. A call to repentance. Look in verse 37. It says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this, uh, from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. You know, Peter's explanation of the events had an effect upon the people. The Holy Spirit took Peter's message and it struck it deep into the hearts of these people who were listening. They're confronted with what they had done. They're confronted with the fact that the Messiah had come and they'd missed him. They're confronted with the fact that they'd put the Messiah on the cross. And confronted with all this, it says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now stop and imagine for a second here the despair for these Jews. It's a Jewish crowd gathered. Peter's preaching to them. And Peter declares to them, The last days have come. The Spirit is poured out. And the reason is because the Messiah has been and you crucified the Messiah. Can you imagine their despair as their eyes are open and they realize that Jesus is the Messiah? This one they crucified only 53 days or whatever earlier. Can you imagine their despair? And this is why we find them at the end of verse 37 saying, what shall we do? They're crying out in despair here. They want to know if there is any hope. What shall we do? You know, this is where all conversions must begin, isn't it? Before anyone can come to the Lord and be saved, they first must realize their hopeless condition. Must first come to the end of themselves, recognize they're a sinner lost before a holy God. That's what these brethren do. They realize their sin. They realize where they're at. They realize what they've done. They're confronted with the truth. They recognize their sin and they cry out in despair. And Peter here responds to this cry of despair by telling them plainly how they can be saved. In verse 38 it says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter tells them plainly here that to be saved they needed to repent. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the gospel message at Pentecost is exactly the same as it is today. It hasn't changed. 
It's the same message we preach today. Peter tells them here to repent. Repentance, of course, means to have a change of mind. That's what it's talking about here, to have a change of mind. You see, these Jews that are gathered, these ones who are responding, they needed to have a change of mind about their sin, change of mind about their condition, and a change of mind towards God. They have a change of mind towards Christ, the one they crucified. Before they rejected him, but now they must embrace him as the Messiah. They must acknowledge their sin before a holy God. Now, the same is true for anyone coming to Christ today. There must be repentance, a change of mind. You know, some have mistakenly taken repentance here to mean the forsaking of sin. But somehow we need to forsake our sin to be saved. But nothing could be further from the truth. Beloved, if, if repentance means the forsaking of sin, then no one is saved, none of us is saved and none of us can ever hope to be saved because that's work salvation that's what it is none of us can work to forsake our sin repentance has nothing to do with forsaking sin praise god it has nothing to do with that rather it simply means acknowledging our sinful condition before a holy god and this is what peter here is telling them to do he says repent Repent. The second thing Peter then tells them to do is to be baptized. Verse 38 again, he says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now we mustn't understand this phrase here to be teaching that baptism is necessary for salvation. Again, that's not what Peter's saying. Baptism is not necessary for salvation. You know, if you read the verse, you can, you know, assume that maybe what he's saying is, you know, that baptism is the means by which remission of sins take place. I mean, that's what it seems to say in the English, doesn't it? But this is not true. Baptism is simply a visible outward sign of repentance, a visible outward sign of the change of hearts, of your faith in Christ. The word for here in the phrase where it says, for the remission of sins... The word for there can mean on account of or on the basis of. And that's what it means here in this phrase. It says, be baptized every one of you, sorry, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ on the basis of the remission of sins. In other words, be baptized because you've repented, because you've got saved. That's what he's saying here. Be baptized because you've got saved, because you've repented and your sins have been forgiven. See, baptism didn't save them, but rather it was an outward expression of what had taken place. And beloved, although baptism isn't necessary for salvation today, we still all should seek to be baptized after we come to know Christ as Savior. It should be something we seek to do. You know, it's something that is commanded of us. It says here in, in verse 38, it says, Repent and be baptized. Second part, it's, it's what's expected. Get saved and then get baptized. You know, Peter here at the start of the church indicates that this should be something that closely follows salvation. In this day and age, we've sort of somehow let it be devoided from salvation. 
in the sense that we get saved and then we leave it and we don't tell people about baptism and then 10, 20 years on, they get baptized. Saved and then we should disciple them to get baptized. Baptism should closely follow salvation. We're to do it not because it adds anything to our salvation or for any special mystical reasons. We're to do it simply because God commands us to do so. Beloved, it's the first step of obedience. It's the first step of obedience. If we want to do God's will for our life, then the first step is to get baptized. It's to obey Him in identifying with Him in the call to baptism. You know, Peter then concludes in verse 38 by saying that when they do this, they will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 38 again at the end there it says, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In other words, when they trust Christ, when they get saved, he says they will experience what they had witnessed in the lives of the apostles. He says you'll experience the same thing. He says you'll be baptized by the Holy Ghost into the body of Christ. He says when you get saved, when you repent, you likewise will have the Holy Spirit come to dwell within. Verse 39 makes it clear that this promise of the Holy Ghost is something that's given to all generations. It says in verse 39, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Brother, this includes all of us. It says there, And to all that are afar off, that's us. Future generations, the promise of the Holy Ghost. All of us, like the apostles, like those who believed on the day of Pentecost, all of us receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the baptism of the Spirit at salvation. We're baptized into the same body. On the day of Pentecost, all those years ago, Peter stood up and boldly preached a very powerful sermon. You know, it was a message that particularly resonated with the Jews. It particularly resonated with the Jewish crowd. It explained to them clearly what they had just witnessed, that they witnessed Joel's prophecy. The last days had begun, had started. The Spirit was poured out upon men. And Peter declares boldly unto them that Christ the Messiah, and that's why these days had arrived. Christ the Messiah had come. He died and risen again. And he concludes his message with a call to repentance. And you know, the people greatly responded to that call. As we read in verse 41, 3,000 souls are added to the church. They respond to the call to repentance, the call to salvation. The call to salvation, the call to repentance is still the same today. Christ died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again for all mankind, not just for the Jews. And we are in the last days and it's a day where all can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. I wonder, have you accepted Christ as your Savior today? Have you acknowledged what Christ has done for you on the cross? Have you been baptized by the Spirit as He come to dwell within your heart? And if you have, if you are saved, then have you obeyed the call to baptism? Repent and be baptized. Have you obeyed that call to baptism as a public testimony of your faith, a public testimony of what Christ 
has done for you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for Peter. We thank you for this great message that he preaches on the day of Pentecost. Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, that indeed Christ, the Messiah, did come all these years ago, that he died on the cross, that he was buried and rose again to provide a way of salvation for all mankind. Lord, we thank you so much that when we place our faith and trust in you, that, Lord, the Spirit comes to dwell within and I pray that you work in our hearts today. I pray if there's anybody here who's not saved, that, Lord, they see their need of you. Lord, I pray that they come to you today before it's too late. I pray, Lord, for those who are saved. If there's any here who are not baptized, any young people who are not baptized, that, Lord, you work in their hearts. You show them, Lord, that it is the first command you give to us after salvation. May bless now as we close in Jesus' name.